Amen. If you have your Bible, want to stand with me? Turn to Hebrews chapter eleven. Today we're going to finish Hebrews chapter eleven, but we will not finish the series. There's one more example of faith that I want to pick up in Hebrews chapter twelve, the first three verses. But but today we're going to conclude Hebrews chapter eleven. Amen. And I had you stand, but you know what I'm going to do for the sake of time? I'm not going to read the text yet. I'm just going to read it as we go through it. So if you'll pray with me, I'll let you be seated. How's that? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We're asking you, God, to anoint this word, Lord. Let it speak into our hearts and lives, Lord. Let it challenge us to grow in our faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. So, as chapter 11 draws to an end, and we saw this last Sunday, the author begins to pick up the pace a little bit. And he, last Sunday, we went from telling stories and, and, and mentioning names and examples of faith to just mentioning the names. Amen. Last week, uh, one verse contained six different names, and really the stories were just kind of in the background. But now we transition to a place where even the names fade away. Instead, the author of Hebrews celebrates the actions of the faithful, and he sums up great acts of faith in short, succinct phrases. They, they were phrases that likely had a deep and powerful meaning to the original readers of the letter. When, when those original audience, when that original audience read the litany of actions that are contained in these verses we're going to read this morning, no doubt their minds automatically connected them with certain examples, certain unnamed heroes of faith, uh, amen, that, that they recognized that the author was talking about. But now with the passage of millennia, we've lost some of that familiarity. But even then, this list of deeds is quite compelling. We've heard already in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11 many great stories of faith, and as we've journeyed through this chapter, we've seen faith overcome many things. But now we come to the final cameos of faith in action. Now, this is a powerful passage. It starts with the recitation of things that were gained through faith. And then in dramatic fashion, it gives way to those things that were sacrificed because of faith. It's a startling contradiction that is made even more compelling by the fact that the author concludes by telling us that neither they that received great things by faith nor they that lost everything because of their faith ever received the final promise of faith, that promise of better things that has been poured out upon the New Testament church. Amen. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Amen. But we'll start with those who received great things through faith. And in some of the incidences that we're going to talk about, you'll be able to recognize exactly who the author is talking about. But there are going to be other times when uh, I'll be able to give some examples from Scripture and uh, that might have been in the mind of the author and the reader. Then there's still going to be times where we're simply not going to be sure what specific incident the writer is referring to. Amen. But every single one of them inspires us to faith. It begins, in, and I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 through the first portion of 35 and then I'll break it down phrase by phrase it says this who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword 
Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Amen. We'll start at the very beginning. Who through faith subdued kingdoms. The list of men and women in the Bible who subdued kingdoms is exhaustive. And last week we talked about the fact that all six of those names that were given in Hebrews 11 and 32, all of them subdued kingdoms through their faith. Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, Samson, David, and even Samuel, all of them were conquerors. They subdued kingdoms. Amen. Then it goes on to say wrought righteousness. And that's a very general description that could fit any number of biblical characters. It it just simply means that they worked righteousness. They did right. They did good. Amen. They did that which was pleasing unto God. One example of that may be Joseph who worked righteousness both when he fled from the advances of Potiphar's wife, uh, when he refused to get caught in that temptation. Uh, amen. But fled from it. It caused him to be thrown in prison. Uh, but God exalted him out of the prison uh, and made him the ruler, a second in command over all of the Egypt. And then he showed righteousness. He worked righteousness in, in saving Egypt's food supply and then justly administering it during a time of famine. Everything Joseph did was marked by his desire to work righteousness. Then they obtained promises. Once again, any number of biblical characters might fit that distinction. The people of God have always lived in the promises of God. And God promised to go with them. He promised to provide for them. He promised to watch over them. He promised to fight their battles for them. And over and over again in Scripture, there's any number of examples that I could mention, amen, where those that were faithful to God discovered uh, that God was faithful to them. Uh, amen. He made a promise uh, and he kept it. Uh, if he spoke it with his mouth, uh, he did it with his hand. Uh, amen. He's a mighty God uh, and he kept his word uh, and because he kept his word they obtained promises by faith then it says stop the mouths of lions so now we come to an act of faith where we immediately recognize who is being talked about you probably know the story well how daniel though he was a captive in babylon was highly favored of the king and how the other princes of the kingdom became jealous of daniel and they trapped the king by his own law and forced him to sentence Daniel to death. Tells me something about faithfulness. Faithfulness to God does not guarantee that you won't go through some terrible trials. Amen? Just because you're faithful to God doesn't guarantee that your faith isn't going to be tested. Uh, but it does mean that whenever you find yourself in that place, uh, you'll be able to rely on the faithfulness of God. Amen? He will do what he said he would do. Amen? Let's pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, listen to the faith of this pagan king, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king scaled it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So he sealed it up so everybody knew Daniel was in there all night long. Then the king 
went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. And the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto David. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, I'm sorry. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, uh, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, uh, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever my god hath sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths and they have not hurt me for as much as before him innocence was found in me and also before thee o king have i done no hurt then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. That's the power of faith. Amen. And the king commanded and they brought those men which had accused Daniel. And they cast them into the very same den of lions, them and their children and their wives. Uh, and the lions, now they ate. Amen. There was no angel in there to stop their mouth. Uh, and they had the mastery of them and broke all their bones and pieces uh, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. But that's not the end of the story. It goes on and says this. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? Come on, somebody. We worry about the kingdom, but even a pagan king can recognize his his kingdom will not be destroyed. Uh, his dominion will never end. Uh, amen. There's always going to be deliverance uh, in his house. Uh, there's always going to be rescue in his house. Uh, he's the God uh, that works miracles. Uh, he's the God uh, that brings signs and wonders uh, to pass. Uh, and he'll do it today just like he did it for Daniel. Oh, pastor, don't get all too excited now. You know, we ain't seen a miracle like that in a long, long time. Either God is true, uh, amen, or, or, or not. Either the Word of God is true or not. That God be truthful uh, and every man a liar, the Scripture says. Uh, if he said he'd do it, uh, he'll do it. Uh, these signs shall follow them that believe. Uh, amen. It didn't say these signs are going to follow them in the first century. Uh, it didn't say these signs are going to follow them in the Old Testament. Uh, it said these signs will follow them which believe. I believe today in the liberating power of the name of Jesus Christ. I believe in a God who has the authority to cast out demons, to heal sickness, to break chains of bondage and addiction. I believe in a God who his kingdom shall never fail. His dominion 
shall never end. Uh, his church will be victorious. Amen? The next verse says they quenched the violence of fire back in Hebrews chapter 11. So now we move to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Another story we recognize. It's, it's funny. We talked last week about how the author gets Gideon and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and David, or Jephthah and, and Samson, David and Samuel out of order. He does that again here. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego takes place at least 20 years before Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. It takes place during the reign of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar will be dead 20 years before Darius would rise to the throne. That, that's where Daniel was shown, uh, his story unfolded. And so a king named Nebuchadnezzar reigned over the Jews in their captivity, and he was inflated with, with self-pride and arrogance, exalted himself to the place of a deity, and he constructed a huge golden image of himself. And he commanded everybody in his kingdom to worship it. Do you know the story how the three Hebrew children refused to bend their knees to that idol? They refused to bow down before it. The scripture says, I'm going to pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spake unto them and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image uh, which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, heart, and all those other instruments, uh, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, it'll be good for you. Amen? But if you worship not, you're going to be cast this same hour into the midst of a burning fire furnace uh, and who uh, is that God uh, that shall deliver you out of my hands uh, oh I'm so glad you asked uh, let me tell you who he is uh, he's a deliverer uh, he's a way maker uh, he's a healer uh, he's a peace speaker uh, he's a promise keeper uh, that's who my God is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. Uh, amen. We, we, we don't, we're not even going to be cautious about this. Uh, if it be so, uh, if you throw us in the furnace, uh, our God whom we serve uh, is able to deliver us uh, from the burning fiery furnace uh, and he will deliver us uh, out of thine hand O king. Uh, but if not, uh, <laughs> oh if it doesn't happen, uh, be it known unto thee O king uh, that we will not serve thy gods uh, nor worship the golden image uh, which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat up the furnace seven times more than had ever been heated before. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery furnace. You know the story. The furnace was so hot that it killed the men 
who cast those three boys into that furnace. But the furnace had no effect on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got up and they dusted themselves off and they went to walking around in the middle of the fire. And the king gazes in and said, Did we not cast in three men? Yet I see four. And one of them is like unto the Son of God. Amen. I want to tell you what happens when you put your faith in God. He walks right into the fiery furnace with you. Uh, He shows up not just in deliverance, uh, not just in power, not just in majesty, but in the demonstration of who he is. Then Nebuchadnezzar in verse 24, the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said, true, O king. And he answered and said, lo, I see four men walking about in the middle of the fire. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then he called them down out of the fiery furnace, and he inspected them. Look, their garments over, but not a single hair of their body was singed. Not a single place on their garments was burned. Uh, amen. The Scripture said they didn't even smell like smoke. Amen. So the king issued a new decree that people everywhere should worship the God of the Hebrews because there's no God like our God. He's a deliverer. Amen. He's a way maker. He's a peace speaker. He's a promise keeper. There's no God like our God. You may find yourself in some fiery trials in this life. Amen. But you'll never go into the furnace alone as long as you walk by faith. Amen. goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 11, Some escaped the edge of the sword. That's another very general statement. We can think of several prophets and others in the Word of God who escaped the edge of the sword. Elijah was delivered from Jezebel. Elisha was delivered from her son, Jehoram. And Jeremiah was delivered from Jehoiakim. That's just a few that I can name. That there, There's a multitude of examples in Scripture. Those that were delivered, they escaped the edge of the sword. goes on to say, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Uh, this is the God that we serve, amen, under his power and through his through faith in him, uh, weakness uh, becomes strength. Uh, amen. Weak, you said, oh, I'm weak, Pastor. That's okay. Uh, that's where God does his best work. Uh, oh, I just don't know if I got enough strength to carry on. That's okay, my friend. Uh, that's where God uh, does his best work. Uh, I just don't know if I can bear up under the load. That's okay, my friend. You just keep putting one foot uh, in front of the other uh, because in him, uh, weakness is made strong. Amen. When Jonathan and his armor bearer found themselves all alone, standing against the mighty host of the Philistines. First Samuel chapter 14, verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, 
Let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. It may be. Not even a guarantee. Amen. But if we get up and go, if we go ahead and take the fight to the enemy, no, we're weak. Yes, we're few. There's just two of us, uh, and there's a multitude of them. Uh, but it may be uh, that the Lord will work for us, uh, for there is no restraint to the Lord uh, to save by many or by few. They understood the key principle. The battle's not ours. It belongs to the Lord. Amen. And together, because of their faith, because they had the gall to believe, if we step out by faith, just maybe God will show. You know what happens? You're too timid to step out by faith. You let the devil tell you God won't show up. Well, guess what, honey? Even if he doesn't show up, you're going to find him to be faithful. But Jonathan said, that's not going to keep me from the battle. I'm going to go out and face my enemy, and just maybe God will show up. He's not limited. He doesn't need a mighty army. He just needs two or three that agree together in faith. I feel that spirit in this house this morning. Amen. It doesn't take a great, a, a huge mega church uh, to reach a community or reach Northeast Arkansas. He just needs two or three that agree with me by faith. Uh, amen. We serve a God uh, who can do anything. Uh, we serve a God uh, with all power and authority. He's a way maker. Uh, come on. He's a peace speaker. Uh, he's a promise keeper. Uh, he is a deliverer. Uh, he is our God. Together, they put the whole army of the Philistines to fight or to flight because they had enough faith to trust that God would fight for them. It didn't matter they were weak in body. It didn't matter they looked around on a Sunday morning and said, there's been 25 or 30 people here. It didn't matter, amen. They made up their mind, well, there's two or three gathered together in my name. I will be in the midst of them. And if he's with us, there's none that can stand against us. No weapon formed against us will ever prosper. Why don't we take the fight to the enemy? Why don't we just go up to his camp and see if God won't show up and do what he's able to do because his hand is not limited. He turned their weakness into strength. And he caused them to turn armies to flight. Caused them to be victorious in battle. The next verse, chapter 11, begins this way. Women received their dead, raised to life again. We know, a, we know of a couple of incidents in Scripture that this may reference Elijah the Tishbite and Elisha his protege. Both of them raised dead children back to life for their mothers. What a tremendous testimony of faith. Even death isn't final. But here's where the tone of the whole chapter changes. Make no mistake that this is not a change from victory to defeat. It is, however, a transition to victory of another kind. When one first reads this passage, and I sat down and did several weeks ago, 
you may be compelled to categorize these groups of people into two groups. You, you may be compelled to look at that first group that we just talked about, amen, and, and, and say they're overcomers, uh, they're victors, uh, amen. They, they, God did great things for them, and they, they overcame their circumstance. Uh, but when you read about this second group, uh, you may, may want to step back and say, wait a minute, uh, these are the downtrodden, uh, these are the downcast, uh, amen. But that fails to recognize uh, the true victory victory of faith uh, because the ultimate victory of faith uh, is not measured in earthly successes uh, or defeats. Uh, the final reward of faith uh, is to hear the master say, well done, uh, my good and faithful servant. And with that truth in mind, the writer now turns to great examples of faith expressed in the face of terrible hardship. It's a faith that never gives up. It's a faith that never gives in. It's a faith that never surrenders to this world, but keeps striving, always striving for a heavenly reward. Amen. In the, in the interest of the brevity of time, I'm just going to pick up right in the middle of verse 35. It says, And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Come on, some were delivered. Some were saved from the sword. Some saw their dead raised to life again, but others, others were tortured to death. No doubt the torture was tremendously painful. As a matter of fact, the, the Greek word used there is, is a specific instrument of torture. It was a, a uh, rack where they would stretch them and then they would beat them to death as their body was pulled front and back until their arms and legs are out of socket. Tremendous pain just in that stretching. But then they would begin to beat them and they would beat them until they died. But not, not only did they stretch them and not only did they beat them, but between blows they begin to tell them, if you just let go of your faith in God, if you just announce your faith, we'll let this all end right here. You don't have to go through any more turmoil. You don't have to go through any more trouble. You don't have to go through any more pain and suffering. Amen. They were tempted and they were tortured, but they refused to accept deliverance. They refused to give up their faith because these others, amen, these others didn't accept the easy way out because they understood that though they, they, they weren't saved from their fiery trial, they weren't delivered from the furnace they got thrown in, amen, God didn't reach down and pull them out of that torture's rack, but they understood they were striving to obtain a, a better resurrection. Those boys that Elijah and Elisha raised back to life, they eventually died again. But these heroes of the faith we're talking about now, amen, these martyrs who were tortured to death, endured the pain and the suffering because they had their eyes fixed on a heavenly reward, a better resurrection. Amen. They understood that the true victory of faith is not won in this mortal world, but it's finally achieved on that great resurrection morning when the dead in Christ shall rise first. Amen. And then we which are alive and remain shall be gathered together with them to meet him in the air. Amen. The reason that they refuse the deliverance that is offered to them is because they had their eyes 
on the prize. They had their eyes on a greater resurrection, a greater prize than this life down here. So they remained faithful even to the point of death. And by their faith, they obtained a greater victory, the ultimate victory of faith. This isn't a lesser group. This isn't a group that somehow is, is demarcated and different from the others because they didn't have as much faith. No, 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 my friend. Amen. Sometimes God heals and sometimes God doesn't. Sometimes God delivers and sometimes God doesn't. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Amen. I, I don't have any right to question him. The only thing I'm called to do is trust him. Amen. And whether he delivers or not, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Oh, King, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. Our God is able, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to bend our knee. We're still not going to give in. We're still not going to surrender. Amen? And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yet moreover of bonds and imprisonment. Throughout Scripture, the faithful are often mocked and beaten, imprisoned. They were made to be objects of scorn and laughingstocks. And sometimes God delivered them, but sometimes he did not. One was delivered by faith, while another endured through their faith. But both of them were striving for the same victory. Amen. Both of them were overcoming this world and looking forward to eternity to come. That's where the true victory of faith is found. Goes on to say they were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. So others were stoned to death. Jeremiah comes to mind here. According to the tradition of the Jews, amen, according to Hebrew tradition, the Jews in Egypt became angry because of the prophecies of, of Jeremiah because he condemned them for their idolatry, amen, and they, in their anger they stoned him to death. Still others, the scripture says, were sawn asunder. They were sawn in two. Uh, amen. One example of that is the prophet Isaiah, who according to tradition, uh, amen, was sawn in two with a woodcutter saw. Uh, there were others that were tempted. Uh, amen. That's a very general phrase, and it, it could apply to any biblical character. But perhaps it's making a reference to those who at the point of death uh, were tempted to abandon their faith, uh, but instead uh, they held fast, uh, even as they lost their lives and gained eternity. Earlier we were told that through faith some escaped the sword, but now we're told that through faith some were killed by the sword. Jeremiah was delivered from Jehoiakim when that king sought his life, but his fellow prophet Uriah was not as fortunate as Jeremiah. Uriah foretold the doom of, of Judah and Jerusalem in the same kind of language and similar terms uh, to what Jeremiah said. And then he fled Egypt for his life, or fled to Egypt for his life. But the Scripture says in Jeremiah chapter 26 and verse 23, And they fetched forth Uriah out of Egypt, and brought him unto Jehoiakim, the king, the same king who couldn't catch Jeremiah, who couldn't take his life. Uh, and that king slew him with the sword. 
What a contrast. By faith, one lived. And by faith, the other died. But both of them obtained the same good report. Uh, both of them obtained uh, the same victory of faith. Goes on to say they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. They wandered about a people who had no home, outcast from this world, rejected by men and denounced by kings and rulers. They couldn't even provide clothing for themselves. Instead, they wrapped themselves up in sheepskins uh, and goatskins. They were destitute. Uh, they were afflicted. Uh, they were tormented. Uh, they wandered in deserts and in mountains. Uh, they sought refuge in dens uh, and the caves of the earth. Uh, because of their faith, uh, they were rejected by this world, but the author can't even get through the sentence uh, without interjecting right in the middle of it uh, this parenthetical phrase that says uh, hey, they may have been marked uh, as unfit for society uh, but the real truth is uh, that society was unfit for them uh, of whom the world was not worthy what a testimony they may have been outcast they may have been fugitives they may have passed their days in hiding in caves and dens, but they knew what they were living for. They weren't living for this world. Didn't matter what the size of a house was or what their possessed. Didn't matter what they wore on their body. It didn't matter where they laid their head at night. It didn't matter whether they found the favor of kings or not. It didn't matter whether they were accepted by this world or not. It didn't matter whether they fit into the right circles or not. Why? Because they were living for a world that's outside of this one. They were living for a place called heaven. They were living for a reunion with God. They were living by their faith. And they clung to it no matter what this life brought them. Now we transition again. And now here we learn that all of those that we talked about, both those who received great things by faith and those who sacrificed great things for faith, have obtained the same report. All of them have retain, obtained a good report, but they've not yet received the ultimate promise of God. Verse 39 says, And all, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. All of these. That takes in the whole chapter. That starts with Abel way back in the very beginning. That spans the great list of the heroes of faith that we've been talking about for many, many weeks now, all the way to those unnamed vagabonds who wrapped themselves in goat skins and lived in caves. Uh, all of them obtained a good report uh, through faith. Uh, amen. They're not a collection of the victors and the defeated. Uh, they're not a collection of the overcomers and the downtrodden. Uh, all of them obtained uh, a good report uh, by faith. Uh, all of them obtained uh, what they were striving for. Every one of them uh, overcame through his faith. Uh, every one of them uh, gained great things through faith. Amen? Some of them saw deliverance. Some of them saw death. 
Some of them saw mighty miracles. Some of them faced the horror and the pain and the tragedy that this life heaped upon them. But all together, they clung to the true hope of the faith in spite of every circumstance. And every one of them earned the final reward of faith, life eternal with him. But that's not the end of the story. The writer says that in spite of that great triumph, none of the Old Testament examples of faith that we've talked about ever received the promise. Now let's think about that for a minute. They received many promises. Matter of fact, one of the things we saw today was they, they, they saw promises fulfilled. They received the promises of God. But they never received the promise. What is the promise? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 40 says, God, having provided some better thing for us. Put your finger right here and say for us. That's the church. Amen. This is New Testament. That's the church. Uh, amen. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Uh, amen. I'll tell you what the promise is. It's a promise that is fulfilled in the New Testament church. Uh, it is the better thing. Uh, that is, that is, and it's a better thing than being delivered from the sword. Uh, it's a better thing than having your dead raised to life again. It's a better thing than being delivered from a fiery furnace. Uh, it's a a better thing than walking out of a lion's den. Uh, amen. Their faith, uh, as tremendous as it is, uh, looks ahead to a promise uh, that was never fulfilled in their day. So that in this church age, their story is incomplete without our story. What happens in the church age that is so different, that is so important, other than the fact that Jesus conquers death, hell, and the grave, and forever secures their final victory. It's forever secures that eternal life that they've been promised. Amen. The promise of the Father is the thing that so changes this New Testament era. The promise that they never received. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Jesus talking to his disciples before he is caught up into heaven that final time. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized uh, with the Holy Ghost uh, not many days hence. Uh, verse 8 says, but ye shall receive Power uh, after that the Holy Ghost uh, is come upon you, uh, and ye shall be witnesses uh, unto me both in Jerusalem uh, and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the promise. Acts chapter 2, the first verse says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, somebody say all, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. That's the promise of the Father. It never happened anywhere else in history. It never happened before that moment anywhere 
there in all the history of the faithful throughout the ages. Uh, They never received that promise. Uh, The promise of the Father was poured out upon the New Testament church. And it's a promise that extends to you and to me today. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37, after Peter has preached to the multitude. They've come and they've seen the, what's happening there in the upper room. First they said, these guys must be drunk. They're acting crazy. They're acting like fools. They're stumbling around. Some of them are dancing. Some of them are shouting. Some of them are rolling in the floor. Something wrong with them, folks. But Peter stepped out on that balcony. He said, men and brethren, these are not drunk as you suppose. It's too early in the morning for that. Oh, let me tell you what's happened. And he began to preach to them Jesus Christ. He began to preach Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected from the dead. And when he got done preaching Jesus, he laid it on their, on, at their feet. And he laid the charge on them. You're the one who crucified him. Struck them with conviction. And they cried out, verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Clearest question in all of Scripture. What does it take to be saved from this? What does it take to be delivered from this? What do I got to do to be saved from my sins? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The next verse says, For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm so thankful today that he's still calling. That promise is still being poured out. That promise is still being fulfilled in this New Testament church. Amen. It is for you and it is for me. It's for every one of us. Would you stand with me? The story is told that at one point in Alexander the Great's tremendous conquest, he and his men had to make the choice of either holding on to the vast treasures that they had gained or going forward to new conquests. They said Alexander actually gave away all the gold he had amassed as they looted the lands they had conquered. He encourages generals to do that. We can't carry this with us. We're moving forward. we got somewhere to go, and this is going to weigh us down, and this is going to hold us back. Uh, and he, he gave it away, and he encouraged his generals to do the same. And somebody came to him, and they asked him, Alexander, why are you giving away all of your gold? And he answered them this way. He said, for the hope of better things for the hope of better things I come to preach to a church on a Sunday morning this world's heaping upon you all kinds of stuff and trying to weigh you down with all the cares and affairs of this life but it's time to make up your mind just like Alexander did to give it all the way for the hope of better things there is a better promise there is a better calling There is a better reward. Amen. It is the reward of faith. And God is calling you this morning to join the ranks of the heroes of the faith.
to lay aside the treasures of this life, to lay aside the stuff we amassed for ourselves, to lay aside the plans we've made for ourselves, and to embrace his plan and his will for your life. He's calling you to reach for something better. Oh, we're at a crossroads this morning. We could settle in right here and be comfortable. We keep having church like we've been having church. We could celebrate the few and the little and all that God has done. I don't mean to minimize that. Or we can look ahead of the future and we can reach for a promise that we haven't seen yet. He said you're going to reap seed that you have not sown. That was the promise that was spoken over this pulpit. You're going to see a revival. The likes of which this world, this church uh, cannot contain. God's getting ready to do something in your midst uh, that's going to bust all of northeast Arkansas wide open. I believe it. Uh, and I believe the Spirit is walking in this place on a Sunday morning. And he's calling us to lay some things aside. Uh, to lay some things down. Uh, to step out and walk in faith. Uh, and believe God's got a better thing uh, for this church. Uh, he's got a better thing uh, for my life. Uh, he's got a better thing uh, for my family. Uh, he's got a better thing for me. I'm asking you in this Sunday morning just to step out by faith. If you haven't been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, He'll give it to you today. The promise is yours. If you find yourself in some fiery trial, I want to encourage you to remember what you're living for. The old songwriter said, This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I wonder what happened this morning if a church uh, would turn its heart towards heaven uh, and say, Lord, I'm not satisfied with where I am. Uh, I'm not satisfied with what I have. Uh, I'm not satisfied uh, with where we've come this far. Uh, I'm reaching for something more. Uh, I'm asking you, God, to do something more in my life. Would you step out in faith on a Sunday morning? I'm calling you to this altar. Would you step out in faith and would you reach out for something better? Would you reach out for some miracle that, that, that the world's told you was impossible? But God's saying, I'll open that door that no man can open. Come on, I'll turn the key that opens a lock that you thought was forever locked. I'm willing to do for you, amen, what, what, what you've only imagined exceedingly and abundantly above everything you may think or ask. Step out in faith and say, Lord, I'm leaving all this behind. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. This whole world needs a message we're preaching. This whole world needs a baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the evidence of speaking in other tongues. This whole world needs that power of God living in their lives. This whole world needs what we have. It's time we made up our minds. I'm going to keep reaching. I'm going to keep reaching. I refuse to become complacent. I refuse to become satisfied. I refuse to settle in. This isn't the end of my journey. God's calling us. Why don't you reach out by faith and answer him? Why don't you respond to him with faith? It's time to leave some things behind. You, you may need to leave some things in this altar this morning. Amen.
You may need to surrender some things to him. Not not all those things are sin. Sometimes it's just weight uh, which doth so easily beset us uh, and keeps us from running the race. Uh, amen. Why don't you lay it down this morning? Uh, why don't you reach out and embrace the promise of God? He's got better things for you. Why don't you call out to him right now?